What's up guys and welcome back to Theology Unscripted. Today Dr. Jones and I will be going over Romans 8, finishing up the first section. Well, second section, I'm not Second sure. section. We will be speaking about the heirs with Christ and the future glory that we can expect to receive with Christ. This is Theology Unscripted. Alright, here we are. We are at the end of Paul's, uh, this, this section. I think it's the second. I don't know. Uh, we're going to say it's the second. It's, it's this ma- major section. This section started in chapter 5. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll talk about that in just a second. But this is Paul wrapping up this idea uh, of what he's been talking about. So uh, we ended last week in verse 11 uh, and the previous verses talking about living in the Spirit. Mm-hmm. So that's where we ended. And now Paul is going to talk about how we are uh, debtors not of the flesh. This is verse 12. To live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So now he's contrasting what he talked about before, living by the Spirit. He's contrasting that with living by the flesh, saying those who live according to the flesh will die. All right, Mm -hmm. so where are we at? What do you think about this so far? Um, One question I do have is says we are not debtors to the flesh. So does that mean we're debtors to the Spirit and like we're expected to work for the Spirit? That's what it seems to say here. Uh, mm-hmm. That's kind of what it, uh, what it, he's obviously contrasting. He doesn't uh, directly say that, but uh, this conclusion is being drawn here. He's talking about being a debtor mm-hmm. of some kind. We are debtor. If, again, if you read it in context, which we should always do, you know, we're breaking it up so we aren't talking about it all at one time in like five hours. Right. But obviously we're keeping everything in context best we can. Um, so if we back up and think about this with the verses above, where it uh, says in verse 9, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, Spirit is life because of righteousness. The Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So again, we just kind of reread where we finished last week. Mm-hmm. Talking about how that same spirit that lives in us uh, is the is the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. So it seems to imply here that we are debtors to that. We owe him our lives because of that. Right. That's what it seems to be talking about in context. Because we are in the spirit in Christ, we now are debtors to him. Mm-hmm. Now, again, we I always want to make sure we emphasize that this is not talking about a works-based salvation. Uh, we are not saying... You owe God something to do the right thing so that you can earn his favor. No, what it, how it reads, the way that Paul has written this, is we have received his fa- favor by faith in Christ and uh, by grace. Mm-hmm. Uh, since we have that, how should we respond? That's mm-hmm. the way he's talking about this. Gotcha. And that's what he's kind of talking about right now? Right. That's where I think he's going with this. He's yeah. talking, he's saying, we, now we can't, we can't live for the flesh anymore because if we live according to the flesh, that's death. But you, by the Spirit, you're now alive. You have, by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body and therefore have life. Now, again, if you read that completely out of context, you would think that you have to do the right things so or you're going to die, or you have to do the right thing so that you live. You're not That's just the not full how it works. Story. Right. You've got to get the full story. Exactly. Yeah. And everything that he said here up uh, to up to now, talking about life in the Spirit and life by the Spirit, is that we have received it by grace. Mm-hmm. So everything he's talking about, putting the flesh to death, is the response to grace, not a way to earn grace. Mm -hmm. Now, if you don't mind, can you define what grace is? Oh, yeah, I love defining what grace is. Grace, I believe, is 
the uh, receiving of something that you do not deserve. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I think about, so I've done this for my kids before to try. You, you can't do this every time or they get spoiled. But I've at times I've tried to teach them what grace is mm-hmm. by saying, hey, you did something that uh, you should not have done. And uh, you deserve a consequence of some kind. Mm-hmm. Um, instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you some ice cream. <laughs> now, obviously, if you do that every time, they're going to learn, okay, I was bad, and I get ice cream if I'm right. bad because dad's a pushover. And that's not what I'm talking about here. And again, I'm not God. My kids, you know, that it's it, the analogy breaks down. Right. But the whole idea is, hey, you know what? You deserve a consequence, but instead, I'm going to give you something that you want, something good. Yeah. And so that's the idea of grace. And uh, that is different, I think. It, it connected, but it's different from mercy. Mm-hmm. Mercy would be not receiving a punishment that you do deserve. Right. So uh, when we're talking about, you know, when we see how we uh, just kind of what we look at in um, the doctrine of salvation, we see both of those things. We have mercy where we uh, we have no condemnation. That was verse one of chapter eight. Mm-hmm. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We deserve condemnation. We don't get it anymore. That's mercy. Right now, living by the spirit, I believe we're talking about grace. I believe having the spirit, we don't deserve the spirit, but we receive him. And I think that's part of grace. Yeah. Right. So since we live in that grace, since we've received Christ, since we've received this spirit of Jesus to live, we can't by grace. We have to respond properly to that. Mm -hmm. So I think that's kind of where when we're talking about grace, grace is receiving something we didn't deserve. And in this context of Romans eight, what we didn't deserve was the spirit and we got it freely by faith. Yeah. Okay. So I think, yeah, I think that's what he's talking about here. Uh, and then in verse, where were we? 14, 14, I think. Yeah. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Okay, mm-hmm. good. So if you're led by the Spirit, you're son. Sonship, again, we just, you know, I was talking about my kids just now. You know, being a son is just is a, is a title that you are born into, right? right? Uh, you don't, uh, you, you can, obviously, he's going to talk about this in a second. There's more than one way to become a son. Mm-hmm. He's going to talk about adoption here in a second, being adopted, being brought in. And that picture is very, you know, if you think about it in a modern context or in really in any context, the idea of adoption, one who was not a part of your family, who you bring in. Mm-hmm. Again, I think by, by grace, you bring someone into your family who was not a part of it. You know, I think that that's what he's talking about. You you are now led by the Spirit, and you are sons of God, is what it says. And my, um, my, uh, my study Bible here that I'm reading, it says those who are led by the Spirit of God, those who um, follow the Spirit, or those who are God's children. Again, when we read sons, we shouldn't just think male. We should think God's it's children. All children. Yep. Uh, and this is those who truly belong to uh, his family. In verse 15, again, we, I'd mentioned this already, but he goes to talk about we didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Again, he's thinking back to talking about being slaves to uh, not being a slave to sin anymore. Uh, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So again, we are no longer slaves to sin, but are adopted into God's family. And the evidence of that is spirit that cries out within them that God is their father. Mm-hmm. So again, we see this uh, this idea that we are brought in by the spirit, by grace. Again, you know, think, think through this analogy some more. If you're adopted, you know, how much does a child, you know, how, how much of their input is generally involved in that, right? Mm-hmm. No, I, some, t- you know, it depends on how old, you know, a child is when they're adopted, if they're a baby or not. 
Yeah. Generally, it's the, the the parent who's the most active agent in adoption who yeah. says, I'm going to choose you. I'm, I'm inviting you to be a part of my family. Right. And that's the idea here. Right. Is that we, you know, we uh, welcome and we are by the spirit. We say, you know, by faith, we accept the sacrifice Jesus made. But it's God who do, who brings us into his family by his spirit. Yeah. I think it's a very powerful picture here. You know, and this idea of, you know, this Abba word here uh, often translated from. Uh, the Aramaic word for father. Um, and this term is uh, likely stems from Jesus ta- uh, addressing God by this term in Mark uh, 14, 36. So again, he's probably, you know, repeat, you know, you're echoing how Jesus would have spoken to God, the father. Um, but again, you know, we see interesting here. Also, we see the the Trinity active. You know, the word Trinity is not in the Bible anywhere. Yeah. That's a word we've put on the concept that we've seen all throughout the Bible, a true concept, I believe, where you're talking about Jesus leading us by uh, the Spirit of Christ in uh, uh, providing the sacrifice for us. We see the Spirit of God. We see Abba Father. So we see all of these uh, members of the Trinity active in salvation. Yeah. Now, um, question for you. How much work do you think the Spirit actually does once like, once we accept them into our heart? Because obviously, once we have the Spirit, we can't just lay back and let Him do all the work. Like, How much involvement do you think He has there? Yes, I believe that we, uh, the Spirit is the one who seals us and uh, keeps us in in Him. I think that's very clear in other parts of Scripture. I can't really think of them off the top of my head where they are, but that's we see that in other places in Scripture as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, the Spirit, you know, uh, in other passages is going to be the one who helps us. He's called the Helper. Jesus mm-hmm. calls him, you know, he says to his followers, stay in Jerusalem until the Helper comes. I'm going to send my Helper to you. Uh, there is, uh, there are some religions out there who say we're going to, you know, Christ saved us, but then it's, and plus everything we can do. Mm -hmm. Right. And that, that's just simply not the Christian view of, uh, what the spirit does. The spirit, uh, allows us to overcome temptation. If we trust, if we, if we trust in his power to do that for us, but it's also a promise that if we do fall into temptation, if we do fail, if we do fall, that we're not outside of God's, uh, family. Right. He sealed us by his spirit hmm. uh, to do that. So I think that there are uh, two, at least two, you know, those are just the two that I can think of. I'm sure there's more that I'm not thinking of right now. But the spirit helps us to overcome temptation. The spirit also seals us so that when we are, have fallen, when we've fallen into sin, when we've done what, you know, like Paul says, when I do what I do not want to do, we can trust in the promise of the spirit has sealed us in Christ as well. Yeah. Nice, nice. I just looked here. Yeah, I've got, so I have the ESV study Bible. If anybody out there has that, that's a great tool. Uh, I like to use that. If I'm ever not sure about something, it can, you know, it's got some quick notes here. I didn't even see this before, but it has a chart right here about the Trinity in Romans 8. I didn't even see that before I started talking about it. Uh, So uh, a couple of things that uh, it says here that the Spirit does. Uh, He indwells believers. He leads believers. We see that in verse 14 for all who are led by the Spirit of God. Uh, he bears witness with the spirit of believers. That's in verse 16, uh, which we haven't read yet. So let's look at that. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So it's the spirit, I think, what he's saying, that uh, bears witness uh, before God to us that we are one of God's children. Mm-hmm. And then we haven't gotten to this yet, but um, verses 26 and 27, which we'll get to in a minute, uh, the spirit helps us in our weakness and intercedes for us. Interceding is a word meaning to pray on someone's behalf. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we see the spirit very active here uh, in the life of the believer. And 
in this section wraps up in verse 17 where he says if, and if, if we're children so if the spirit bears witness that we're children if we're children then we're heirs heirs is one who inherits something we are heirs of god and fellow heirs with christ so that means we share in the inheritance from god that christ has and then he goes on, he finishes this up by saying, provided we suffer with him in order that we might be glorified with him. And this is obviously not, you know, this is the hard part of the Christian life, right? right? It's not going to be easy. You know, there are lots of preachers out there who want to tell you, you know, come follow Jesus and you'll get all the money you want and you'll be successful and you'll never have hardship again. And that is all well and good until you're a Christian and you don't have everything you need or want and you have hardship. Yeah. <laughs> That's simply a fact of life, right? Right. So when he's talking about this, he says, look, you know, Christ suffered. And if we are willing to share in that, we will also share in the glory that he's received. Right. Because life is much bigger than just this life, you know? That's Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You know, I think about all the time. I remember I was a teenager. I was in... Uh, I can't remember what grade I was in. I was in high school, though, and my dad got a call late one night that uh, his mom was in the hospital in the ICU, and I it was late at night. I don't remember, and I he was going to go see her, and I just said, Dad, I'm going with you. Like So we got in the car. We're driving, and I just remember, I mean, to, to, to this day, I remember what he said. He said, you know, we're not here forever. That's why there's more than this life. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what he's talking about. He's trusting in, he is, and we all are, Yeah. trusting in the future glory of being glorified with him in eternity. Right. I mean, I think it's worth it, like, suffer for a little bit here and then spend yep. eternity in paradise. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Paul, somewhere else, I think it's in Corinthians, uh, talks about our light and momentary affliction. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I love that picture because what he's saying is, yeah, you know what? He's, this life, it's just light and momentary. Right. It's just for a moment uh, yeah. compared to the glory that we're going to receive. Mm -hmm. And that's what he talks about in this next section. So I want to read some of this starting in verse 18. For consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth compared, comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain freedom uh, of the glory of the children of God. Man, I can't even read one of Paul's sentences in one breath. <laughs> so, so long. I think that might have been two sentences. I yeah. think I did. Yeah, I think... Verse 18 was one, and then 19 through 21 was the second one. But it all ties together. So this is exactly what he's talking about. The sufferings of this present time are not even worth comparing with the glory that it is to be revealed mm -hmm. in the future time. Now, this uh, this section right here, 18 to 39, is going to be the end of this section, like we mentioned already, that started in verse 5. Or, sorry, in chapter 5. In chapter 5, he started by talking about that we're at peace with God and we have hope. And he's going to end this section with the same thought. Mm -hmm. So that's where we're at now. Just like you just said, just yeah. that we, uh, you know, we have to look forward to a future glory that doesn't even compare to the current sufferings. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy how like we're unable to understand like how big the picture is, you know? Like, right. God sees everything, but we just get a, a glimpse of time essentially. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, we we talked about you know this we're just like this vapor that's here and then blows away. It's yeah. kind of a sad, th but it's a sad thought if this is all that uh, that we have. Um, this morning I was working in my coffee truck at the shipyard. It's about six a.m. and a guy bought a coffee from me and then he handed me a little book mm -hmm. called a tract. I guess usually it's a little evangelism tool. Yeah. Um, and I didn't have time to tell him you know hey actually the guy who wrote this tract I um, mentioned him in my 
doctor of ministry dissertation. Uh, you know, so it, great. You know, and I thought to myself, this is great. This guy's out here. He wants people to know about Jesus. I, I love that. I wish I had gotten to talk to him more and just kind of, you know, share that. Yeah. But one of the things that it uh, this book talked about is the, is the answers to life questions. I was just reading it, uh, you know, after he gave it to me just to see what it said. And it said, you know, what does the world say about the meaning of life? And he said, this is it. This is where all there's, you have no meaning, you know, from an evolutionary standpoint, you're an accident yeah. and you are here for a while and then you die and that's it. Yep. You live, you die. That's, that's all you get. That's it. That's all you, if by the world's views, that's all it is. But if we trust that we are in Christ, we have so much more than that. We have far uh, beyond yeah. just this life. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what he's talking about. This life doesn't even, isn't even worth comparing to what we are going to receive in glory. Yeah. So then he goes on, he says, the, the whole creation has been groaning in the, as groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So he's, now he's going to compare uh, just this, this creation to uh, as if it's just like the pains of childbirth, basically. Mm-hmm. Like, this is just the beginning, yeah. right? Yeah, these pains are now, but something glorious is coming. He goes, not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now, I think this is interesting. He just talked about adoption, right? We are adopted. So what's he talking about here? What do you think? Before I, I give some thoughts. Yeah. Kind of confused because like it's talking about the childbirth, but like then it goes to talking about adoption. So Right. A little lost, right? Very now. odd, yes. So again, lots of pictures that's going on here. Yeah. Um, it, people are, God's people, they're longing for the completion of his saving work. So, yeah. And I think this is where we can throw out some other theological terms. Uh, what we have, what at what we have at salvation, when we pray to receive Christ, and again, there's no magic words that do that, right? When you pray to receive Christ, you are saying, "I'm from today on, I am following you." Right. And what happens then is what it, he said in verse uh, Romans five one: We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is called our justification, right? Mm-hmm. At that point, the work of Christ has done for us what it, what it set out to accomplish, which was freeing us from our sin, freeing us from the penalty of sin. We are justified. We are made right before God. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, in between that is sanctification. That's where we try our best by the Spirit to uh, be more like Him. But then the final aspect of our salvation is what's called glorification. That's where our salvation is fully realized. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think that when we talk about, yes, we've been adopted at our justification. We were justified, we were made right, we were adopted as sons. But it's not, it's not, we're not there yet. Right. We have not been glorified with him yet. So there's a greater adoption coming, even yet. So that's like a future tense, essentially. I think so, yeah. yeah. Um, again, I'm not a, really a Greek scholar. I know some things, but uh, that may, I, I'd have to look into see if that's what's going on here. But I think the way he's talking about it, we're we, we are adopted, but we're also eagerly awaiting adoption. Right. Because we have those two senses. We've been justified, but we are still to, uh, today on this earth awaiting our glorification uh, with him. And the mm-hmm. redemption of our bodies. And that's exactly what he's talking about. That's our full redemption. Mm-hmm. Our spirits are redeemed, I believe he would talk about. Our souls are redeemed and that we're made right with him. But are we, our bodies are still dying, right? right. We're still wasting, you know, we're still in this, uh, you know, like he said, who's going to rescue me from this body of death? It's what he said earlier in the book. Thanks be to God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. So this can be kind of confusing, but I really think that that's what he's talking about here. Yeah. All right. Well, then next in 24 for this, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. 
Huh? Yeah. Hope that is seen is not hope. Okay. All right. Okay. For who hopes for what he sees, but if we hope for Uh, what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Okay. Yes. So it kind of makes sense. Yeah, I know. It's kind of confusing when he first says it. Now hope that is seen is not hope. All right. So basically saying, if you can't, if you can see it now, you're not hoping and waiting for it. Right. Right. If it's in front of you, it's not something we're hoping for, but if you don't see it right now, Mm. We wait for it. Yeah, we're waiting for it. We're right. waiting for something to come. That is, he's kind of defining hope. I feel like, which yeah. is kind of interesting. Yeah. Um. So I think then what he says. So then he's going to go on. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. All right. So this is again. This is what the Spirit does for us. We're hoping for something, right? And we're waiting for it. And then he's going to go. You know, that's one. The Spirit does that. But then the Spirit also is helping us in our weakness. For we know. Uh, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too uh, deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Uh, there's another good verse that you should take in context and not mm-hmm. out of context. Yeah. Again, somebody who would preach a prosperity gospel would say, here's Romans eight twenty eight. You know, everything's going to work together for good if you love God. <laughs> you might say, okay, then I'm never going to face anything bad ever. And that's so interesting if you just ignore the part right above it where he said, you know, it's we're going to suffer, suffer for a while. Yeah. <laughs> right. Again, you know, what's he talking about? What's going to work together for good? Or is our eternity with him? Right. I mean, that that's exactly what he's talking about in context here. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, God wants good things for his children. He gives us good things. He provides for us, right? Yeah. We We know that he does that. But... This is not saying everything's going to be good all the time. What it is saying is that we trust that all things in the end are going to work out for good. It's all going to work out in the end. Right. Even if it's not until eternity, it's going to work out. Right. For those who are called according to his purpose, things will work together for good here in this life or in the life to come, which would be better. Mm. So, again, you got to take everything in context. Yeah. All right. And now we get into a very confusing section. So we'll touch on it a little bit and we'll get more into it next time because... I'm just, I, we're, we're over time what we usually are, but this is just so good. I don't, didn't want to stop talking about it. Um, now he's going to, verse 29, he said, though he foreknew, he also predestined. There's some words that are a lot of fun, uh, to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and those whom he predestined, he also called those whom he called, he justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. So those mm. are those words we already talked about, justification, glorification, things like that. Um, these words about foreknew and predestined, uh, we're going to talk more about that next week, so I won't yeah. go into that too much. Also, I'd suggest going back and listening to our uh, podcast about election that we did last year. Mm-hmm. So I'd go back and listen to that. You can hear some things that I think about that as well, but we'll talk more about that next week. For now, I'm going to go on to verse 31, try and wrap up this chapter in this section. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Those are those who are in him. It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that, who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger and sword? For as it is written, for your sake we're being killed all the day long, and we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Man. Boom. I love that. I don't even know if I need to say anything about that. <laughs> <laughs> what do you, anything, anything else on that? I mean, I just, I love that passage. I mean, I think it just opens up the uh, conversation for the next podcast. Yeah, so. without a doubt. I mean, just so, so many powerful things in this uh, in this last section, that's verses 31 through uh, 39. And I, and I do, this is where I believe that it is very clear that the Spirit seals us in salvation because there is nothing, mm -hmm. death nor life, angels nor rulers, that can get anything between us. Yeah, nothing at all can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not anything, not even ourselves, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? I, I know we talked about that. If I, th if I could lose my salvation, I probably would have, right? Yeah, but thank, we thank you, God, that I can't. Yes, sir. Yeah. Well, I think that pretty much wraps up the podcast for today. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you on the next one.